so last week, um, I ended the service. As we began, last week we were talking about how um, our desire here at K2 is that every single person, everyone, would take one step closer to God. And, uh, and that's true. And that doesn't mean you can take one step closer by seeking after God if you still don't yet believe in him. One step by receiving him. If you're new, you got to crave him like pure milk, like a newborn babe. And then you have to walk. Once you're a follower of Christ, it means to walk. But at the end of the service, I said, for those of us in this room, many of us are walking, right? Um, but you can tell, even though I'm walking, I sense there's something more. And I asked how many of you feel like there's more. And tons of hands go up. And so then we got excited, right? Because it was this, well, the good news is there is more. There actually is a race that you get to run. The, the, the spiritual life, Paul says, can be a race. And then what he says is, if you're in the race, he goes, you know that anybody who enters a race, everybody enters it with a desire to win the race. So run in such a way as to win. So what's Paul, what's the Bible saying to us? The Bible is saying is, run your spiritual race, your life here, to be a champion, to win, to be great. And so if we're going to talk about great, and I, by the way, that sports video, seriously, anybody else moved by that thing? Okay, I, I, I'm like sitting there, I'm like, oh my God, I feel like moved and I feel stupid, but my wife goes, I think I'm going to cry. I'm like, okay, I feel better. <laughs> my wife is even moved, right? By, by, but what happens is when you see people do great things, something gets stirred in us. It draws us. We are drawn to greatness. In fact, we're drawn to greatness. Steve Martin, as I was, as I was uh, researching stuff, I found this quote by Steve Martin. Look at what he says greatness is. Be so good, they can't ignore you. Isn't that a great line? That'll work as we get to the end of the message today. Be so good that they can't ignore you. Because when you watch greatness happen, you share greatness. You want to go see greatness. So what is it? What is greatness? Here's the definition. Of an extent, amount, or intensity considerably above the normal or average. Of ability, quality, or eminence considerably above the normal or average. And I, I tell you, talking about sports, anybody watch the, the um, Pittsburgh Steelers-Cincinnati Bengal game last night? Okay, if you watched it, you just saw a catch that will be shown for the, for, for the rest of our lives. You will see a catch. It was one of the greatest catches that has ever happened. In fact, I couldn't remember the guy's name, so I, this morning I looked up on ESPN. It's Martavius Bryant. And if you look up on ESPN, this is what it says. There's two videos right there, front page. Must see acrobatic touchdown catch. See, because when there's, when there's greatness, must, you got to go see it. You have to see this. By the way, you do. Check it out. It's pretty awesome. The second video says, pulls in circus-like touchdown catch for the ages. For the ages. So, I don't know who you thought of when Spencer asked you to think of who, who's a great person. I had lots of names. I went online just to say, who, who does the world say, right? If you look up list of the greatest people who've ever lived. Most influential people. Here's some names that pop up. Listen to these. William Shakespeare. Abraham Lincoln. 
Leonardo da Vinci, George Washington, Julius Caesar, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, Aristotle, Albert Einstein, Martin Luther King, Mahatma Gandhi, Mother Teresa, Nelson Mandela, Alexander, I don't know how he got this one, the great, right? So, when we, look at, when we look at these names, hold on here, my notes are not in order. Here's what I want to ask you before we jump in. We're going to spend five weeks on this, and I'm so excited to have some time to be able to unpack greatness with you. But I just want to say, do you aspire at all to be great? Do you have any aspiration to be of an extent or amount or an intensity considerably above the normal or average? Do you desire to have an ability, quality, or eminence considerably above the normal or average? And this can be in so many fields, you guys. Do you want to be great in your field of work? Do you want to be a great student? How many of you want to be a great dad? Be a great mom. You want to be a great mom. How about a great husband and a great wife? A great friend. What does it mean to be a great friend? You know, it's New Year's. Many of us are thinking, how can I get above average and get rid of normal and move to greatness physically, emotionally, intellectually, spiritually? Here's what's interesting, you guys. All of those areas at work, friends, marriage, home, it doesn't matter. Here's, here's what's interesting. Greatness in those areas, because we're at church here today, so we're going to talk about greatness with God. Anybody desire greatness with God? What's interesting is if there is greatness with God, he actually wants to be in the rest of your life. Great God is very interested in your greatness at work. He's very interested in your greatness at home and in your friendships and in your life, physically, emotionally, intellectually, and spiritually. This was so interesting. I just, I felt a leading, I looked up this verse, uh, the book of Job um, when that book starts, God is actually having a conversation with Satan. And Satan, and God says, Satan, the, the angels were coming to present themselves before God. And Satan shows up and God says, so Satan, what have you been doing? He says, I've been roaming the earth all around. And God says to him this, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. Isn't that an amazing statement? That's greatness. To have God say, there's no one on earth like him. So man, let's pray. And here's what I, any stirring at all that you feel in your heart, if there's an area in your life where you feel like, you know what, I'm tired of mediocrity. I'm tired of just this routine. I'm tired of not being everything that God actually wants me to be. I wanna be great. That's what we're going to talk about, okay? Let's pray and let's ask God to reveal what that looks like. Father, thank you for this morning. We're here because you're great. You are great. There's not even a word to describe you. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty.
But Jesus, we're here because we worship you too. And you have revealed to us what greatness is. And my prayer right now is simply that out of your unbelievable desire, your great love for us, for every person in this room, I pray that you would move and speak and use your word to inspire us to the life that we can live and that you desire us to. And I ask for it in Jesus' name, amen. So today, in the series on greatness, today we're going to talk about the great one. So I've been studying Wayne Gretzky, and um, not enough hockey fans in here. Obviously, Jesus. And my, my whole desire today is to set Jesus Christ before you, to lift him up. Last week, right when we talked about run the race, if you're going to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and run the race marked out for you, the very next thing Paul says is, so fix your eyes on Jesus. So that's how we got to start if we're going to understand what greatness is. If you have your Bibles, it's Philippians chapter 2. Um, if you don't, uh, we have our app, the K2 app. If you don't have that, you can download it for free. Um, all the scripture, the notes are on our app. You can follow along today um, or just grab the Bible off your phone. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11. I want to read this through and then we'll tear it apart. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he emptied himself by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. All right. So here's what we're going to look at in Jesus. Number one, that in Jesus, we actually see the greatness of God. In Jesus, we see the greatness of God. Philippians 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 5. Now, this is really interesting. Look what the verse says. In your relationships with one another, have the same mind mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, this is really important because what we're going to talk about here, you guys, this, this passage right here is one of the greatest passages in all of Scripture for Christians to understand who Jesus really is. This is the doctrine or the theology of the incarnation. Okay? that the infinite, eternal, creating God would actually come, right? We just celebrated Christmas, that he would come and be born and live in human flesh, that divinity and humanity somehow come together. So this is, it's a, it's a fascinating, unbelievable doctrine or, or thought that, that the whole foundation of Christianity is on. But look at this. So Paul's going to use this unbelievable explanation of who Jesus is, but he does it, and this is so important to see the context. The context of this passage is all about relationships. So he starts off, before he talks about the beauty of Jesus, he says, now in your relationships, 
See, now that makes sense because when, the, when people came to Jesus and they asked him, what is the greatest, right, commandment? What did Jesus say? What's the greatest commandment? Love God and love each other. See, it's actually life is all about relationship. This is where greatness gets exuded. So it's about your interaction with God and with each other. So then, verse 6, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Colossians 1.15 says that the Son, Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God. Now this is really hugely fascinating and important that in Jesus Christ we can finally see he's the image of the invisible God. We get to see the nature of God. And if we see the nature of God, you guys, if there is a God, then he is what is ultimate reality. He's everything that actually is true. He's everything our hearts are actually longing for. That's why Jesus said, when I came, he goes, I came so I might testify to what is true so that we could understand it. So apparently in Jesus Christ, we finally get to see the essence of God who is reality. He's the word. He's the reason. He's the very reason that anything exists. So in that verse, when it says, being in very nature, God, the word in the Greek is morphe. And what that means is the very essence of something, the very nature, the qualities that make something what it is. And what the revelation is, is that, and this is Jesus Christ, by his nature and his essence, the very qualities that make him God, that's who he is, eternal, omniscient, omnipresent, all-powerful, holy, perfect. And then secondly, it says, and he did not consider the equality with God something to be grasped. That word grasp means to be kept, to be hold on to. It's another way where in this hymn, which as many people are saying, is trying to help us to understand. See, it's Jesus was God. He had it. That was his essence. And yet he decided to let it go. He made a decision that equality with God was not something that had to be grasped, but to be held on to. And you know what's interesting, guys, is this was Jesus' claim. When, when he was here on earth, I, I spent a whole lot of last year going through the book of John. It's fascinating how many times and in how many different ways Jesus Christ makes this claim. The Father and I are one. If you want to see him, Jesus said this, if you want to see him, you look at me. He made that claim. Now my guess would be, for some of you in this room, that's just too hard to believe. That's just, that's just, and I get it. That is very, it seems fanciful <laughs> that God would actually come, right, and live in human flesh. But listen to this quote. Tim Keller said this. He goes, of all the people on the face of the earth, the last group of people who, whose worldview would allow them to believe that a human being could be the transcendent creator of the universe was the Jews, God was infinitely transcendent to the Jews. Many of the other religions believed that God was in nature, 
it might have been a little bit easier for them to buy. For the Jewish person, God was so transcendent, so other. In fact, his name, Yahweh, I've heard this before, that the Jewish people couldn't even say the word. They'd go, because they, they didn't even want to say him. He was so holy. So for the Jewish person to think that this was God in the flesh, that would be so hard for them to believe. So think about this. If there was a man who very clearly made this claim and he got thousands of Jews to believe him, what kind of life did he live? What was in his person? What kind of moral character did he have that through all the scrutiny that he was put through, they couldn't find one thing that he had ever done wrong? What kind of authority when he spoke and everybody was in awe? His miraculous, supernatural power. You guys, so as we go through this and we think about what greatness is, we need to understand very clearly through this passage and through all of scripture in the New Testament, Jesus Christ, in him we get to see the greatness of God. He is the God-man. Number two, in Jesus, we get to see the greatness of humanity. In Jesus Christ, we finally get to see what it was meant to be human. So in Philippians 2, he emptied himself by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him. Look at that. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. In human likeness, God, in human like, in God, in peering as a man. Now, let me just get a little technical for you one more time to help us to, for those of you who, who, as we struggle with this, or for those of us who try to defend our faith, the tense of the verb actually matters here. The tense of the verb that's explaining the nature of God. When it says that Jesus was in very nature God, the tense of that verb is the imperfect tense. And what that means is it combines the past tense with reference to a continuing or repeated event or state. In other words, when they would choose to use that word in very Jesus, being in very nature God, it meant he's been God in the past and he continues to be so. So what happens in this passage, it is not saying that having been God, he instead became human. That's not what it's saying. It's saying being in continual nature, God, he also became human. That's why there's no one ever in the history of the world who's ever walked this planet like Jesus Christ, born of the virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit. And what a human was. So God finally got to show us what humanity, what humanness could be. What it was meant to be. Divinity and humanity together. So what made him so great? And I want to tell you, this is where, um, this is why we're taking five weeks on this. I've been thinking about this for a long time. And I can't even begin, I, 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 I'm, I'm going to have enough to kind of 
share with you what I'm understanding, but here's what I know. In my heart, I can't even get close to really knowing. Here's what makes him so different, because Jesus is so different from our hearts, and he's so different from our culture and from our world. Why? Because here's how he reveals his greatness. First, he empties himself by becoming a servant. He emptied himself by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So, although he was equal with God, he did not consider it something to be grasped. But you guys, you know what's so interesting about us? That's Jesus. You know what we are? Though we're not equal with God, we consider equality with God something to be grasped. <laughs> you should laugh at yourself there. Now, no, and the reason you didn't is because most of us are going, wait, wait, no, I don't. I don't consider equality with God something to be grasped. Yes, you do. And so do I. How do we do this? Here's how we, he, here's how we try to grasp equality with God. We actually want to decide what's right and what's best for us. Don't you? Now, how many of you want to do that? Every human being wants to make the decision, this is what's right and this is what's wrong. This is what I should do and this is what I shouldn't do. You just played God. You just took his job. See, we want to make every decision for ourselves. We don't want a God. We want a genie. We want somebody who's supernatural and powerful and loving and good who will help me get the life that I want. See, we actually grasp to be like God. And so here's the genius of Jesus. Tim Keller said this. He goes, I know what the Bible says. He says this. Anytime we say something like this, I know what the Bible says, but I need to make myself happy. I need to follow my own heart. Does that sound like our culture today? See, does that sound like you today? No, no, say as much as you did about our culture, about yourself, because I know this about me. I'll read the Bible, and yet what I read seems to conflict what I, with what I think is going to make me happy. And so everything around us says, follow your own heart. That's what will do it. Here's the genius of Jesus and what makes him great. He never followed his own heart, ever, not one time. He took on the very nature of a servant. Notice how the, uh, notice this, being in very nature God, having those qualities that make him God, he took on the very nature of a servant, taking on the very qualities and the essence of what it means to be a servant. Well, again, what's the definition of a servant? It's a person who performs duties for another. See, and right now, there's part of us right now, there's, if, you're in, if you're human right now, you're going, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't want to serve. There's not greatness in serving. If you get great, you get servants. You finally get people to do stuff for you. See, I'm telling you, man, everything within our flesh just bucks the whole idea of actually doing something for somebody else. And I know this is true. 
It's, a, it's amazing how often we get fired up because we don't, we, because things don't go our way. You guys know, I know this because this, this thought came to me this morning because when I got out of the shower and I went to shave this morning, I went to grab my shaving cream and it was gone. And Susie was laying in bed and I looked over and I go, where's my shaving cream? Now, why am I so fired up, right? Because I just bought that shaving cream. Because every time I have a can of shaving cream in the shower, it's gone. And Susie reminded me, that's because you have three girls now who are shaving their legs. And I say, and that's why I bought another can so there'd be one in my bathroom, right? I'm telling you, it was just so crazy. Anybody else? And I'm sitting there and I'm going, I'm going to speak to everybody today about how to be humble and empty yourself. But it was in that moment, looking in the mirror, I am so far away from the essence of God. Something didn't go my way. And my instant reaction is to get fired up about it. I tell you what, I just think for many of us in this room, why are you angry? Every time, and when anger happens, it's because things aren't going your way. Why are you bitter? Because things aren't going your way. Why is there conflict in your relationships? I can tell you this right now, man. Either for one of you or both of you, things aren't going your way. Let's switch a little bit. Are you anxious? Are you fearful? I, this one really hit me. You know why we're anxious and fearful? Because I don't think things are going the way that I want them to go. Can we all agree with this? See, now here's the genius of Jesus. You never see this in him. Why? Because he didn't have his own way. He emptied himself. And we are so full of our self. And the beauty of Jesus was he didn't have a way. He says, I am the way. And what was the way? I empty myself. I become a servant. John 14, 31, Jesus said, the world must learn that I love the Father and I do exactly what he commands me to do. And then he says, I do nothing on my own. Over and over and over in the book of John, Jesus says, I do nothing on my own. But whatever the Father tells me to do, I do. You guys, that's human greatness. That's the divine spirit of God intertwined with the human spirit. And it sets you free. And you can be great. And that leads us right to the next thing. How else was he great? He humbled himself by becoming obedient. Like, I, I remember a, a person I dearly respect in my life, one of my main mentors. And I remember him saying, I, he goes, I just, he hated the word obedient, like obey. It should be grace, not obedience. But see, here's what's interesting. The beauty of Christ is he was so humble. That the way he lived his life is the only thing. I never do what I want to do. I do whatever God tells me to do. 
So he made himself nothing, right? Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So Jesus made himself nothing, and yet we all want to become something. <laughs> Don't we? <laughs> See, we're all trying to clam. We, we want to become something. We want to be somebody. And I'm going to tell you, we're going to talk about this in two weeks. And so I'm so glad we have time to unpack this. How in the world do we do this? In two weeks, we've got to deal with this issue. Why is it that every human being is trying to become somebody when Jesus is actually emptying him of himself? See, we're trying to fill. Here's Jesus, absolutely full, and he empties himself. We're empty trying to fill ourselves. <laughs> And when you get full of yourselves, how'd that sound? See, now we've got everything that leads to pride and competition and judgment and envy and shame. See, everything somehow in your relationships with one another have the same attitude of Christ. Christ is going, I don't even think about me. I'm emptying myself. We're all thinking about me, trying to fill ourselves. But I will say, it's amazing how painful it is to be ignored, isn't it? I want to be seen, and so do you. I want to be accepted. I want to be desired and esteemed. I want to be asked to do something. We all do. And you know what's cool? Is I am, and so are you. You are seen and accepted and desired and esteemed by God. And he does want you to do something. See, this is what Jesus knew. One time, one time, Jesus says, I love the Father. And I already shared the scripture with you. Over and over and over again, Jesus says, the Father loves me. The Father loves me. The Father loves me. The Father loves me. This is what we got to get to later on in this series. How can we get to the point where we knew what Jesus knew so we could live like he lived? Because he knew the Father loved him, he humbled himself. He was able to, to say, you are and I'm not. So he empties himself, making himself a certain nothing. He takes on the nature of a servant. He humbles himself. He becomes obedient to death, even death on a cross. The greatness of Jesus Christ is that as a human being, he was totally dependent on God. And that's what's great. So, Philippians 2.9, put it up. It says, therefore, because he did that, God exalted him to the highest place. Highest, greatest, holy, holy, holy. And he gave him the name that is above every name. Of an extent, amount, or intensity considerably above the normal. Of ability, quality, or eminence considerably above the normal. Now here's what's interesting. And this is where we're going to go for the next four weeks. That in Jesus, we see the greatness of God. And in Jesus, we get to see the greatness of humanity. 
Now, how do you and I, as humans, in Jesus, you guys, we can experience greatness. In Jesus, we can experience greatness. Now, some of you might ask the question, how could he have done all these miraculous things if he was empty? If he emptied himself, right? Well, in Acts chapter 10, it says, <clears throat> the writer says, uh, you know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. Listen, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. See, the genius, you guys, of Jesus, the greatness of him was that God was with him. Why? Because he was completely dependent on God. Because he did whatever God told him to do. Because he emptied himself. He didn't say, I have my own way. He gave up his way and took on his father's way. Because he humbled himself and became obedient. And Tim Keller said this in his message. He goes, there isn't a thing that Jesus did that we can't do if we were as dependent on the Father as he was. And then he said, that's an indictment. What do you think of that statement? There's not a thing that you and I couldn't do that Jesus did if we would learn how to be as dependent on God as he was. You know what's so cool about that? That means for all of us who are trying to say, man, I, I, if you're saying, I can do it. No, no, you can't. If you're saying, I can't do it, you're right. He does it. And what Jesus came to save us from was our effort to try to be great. And the way to greatness is somehow dependence. Somehow it's emptying ourselves. So you might say, man, I could never be like Jesus. I'm not that great. That's the point. If we keep getting that understanding and if we can receive the grace to have that type of humility, then you and I have a chance to actually experience greatness. So what does that look like? Man, you guys can come on up. What this looks like, you guys, is somehow, if you're gonna make 2016 great, if I'm gonna make, if I'm gonna be great, then I have to completely surrender my will to Jesus Christ. He needs to become great, and I need to become his servant. And I have hope to do that because of the Holy Spirit that's now within me. She has this, again, this is the, you don't forget this. What Jesus was, was divinity and humanity together. But what Jesus Christ did, he saved us on the cross. What he did on the cross was reconcile us back to God so that our humanity can finally receive the divinity. That we can be brought back together with him so we can live the life where we, we were created to live. Human spirit, now, according to the gospel, according to what Christ has done for us, the, the, the human spirit is now joined by the Holy Spirit. So there's hope for us. 
So in Philippians 2.10, it says, he did all this that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. He's talking about what is going to happen. You guys, heaven is gonna be the place again for people who finally don't have their way anymore, but who live in the kingdom of God and God gets to be king and we follow his way. So what's gonna happen is after we die, your knee will bow to Jesus. It just will. But here's the coolest thing. Your knee can bow today. Eternal life is possible today. Jesus came to save us from our sin of living for ourselves and to set us free. And if we receive him, the Bible says, into our life, he takes our sin away and he fills us with the Holy Spirit. So will you bow? Will you make him Lord today? And if you do, then Jesus himself will come be with you. And it's his power, not yours, to make you like him. And I want to tell you, man, this is what will make you great. Really, if you want to be a great husband, one that your wife esteems, then serve her. If you want to be a great wife that your husband can't wait to get home from work to, then serve him. A great dad, great mom, then serve your children. Some of us, I know it's so weird, there's so much loneliness. Then be a great friend. Who doesn't love people who think about you and serve you and bless you? It creates bonds in your relationships with one another, have the same mind of Jesus. Tomorrow morning, when you go to work, be great. Be a great employee. Serve your team, serve your boss. Be a great boss, right? We, when we were moving out here, this book, Good to Great, was written by Jim Collins. And I remember it felt like a second Bible to me. Everything I read in here, I feel like God was saying, get it? You know what's interesting? What makes great companies? The very first thing in his book is that you need to become a level five executive. Every great company has a level five executive. Listen to how he defines this. A level five executive is one who builds enduring greatness through a paradoxical blend of personal humility and professional will. Great executives are those where it's not about them. I'm telling you guys, in these next, this next month, my dream and my hope, and I know it's God's will, is that you would start having great marriages and great relationships with your parents 
and great camaraderie and friendship, that you'd make your place of work great. And I believe that's the will of God for you because then you'll shine and people will get a taste and see what Jesus is like through your life in a world that's hurting so bad. So we're gonna worship him because that's what we're gonna do. Every knee's gonna bow and every tongue's gonna fess. Jesus Christ is Lord. And I wanna tell you, even if you're not a Christian, as we sing here together to end our service, man, there's no one like him. No one like him. He is God Almighty, humbled himself. Though he had everything, he gave up everything so he could have everyone. That's what he did. Jesus gave all that up for you and for me. That's how you can know you're loved. So man, we're gonna worship. And while we do, we're gonna take our offering like we do every Sunday. And I just wanna tell you, man, see this, what a perfect test for us. I know this is why God, I think, I'm, I'm, I believe with all my heart, this is why God did this. Gave us everything we have and then simply asked us, would you give me the 10% that's mine? Well, why is he doing that? Because he knows that nothing more shows that we have our own way than our money. <laughs> when everything that you get goes just to you, then it shows that this is for your own way. And one of the greatest things about the tithe is it gives you a chance to be healthy in your heart, to say, my life is not about me. I'm about Jesus Christ. And I freely and joyfully give back to the one who gave it to me in the first place. So let's stand together. In this first song, it's gonna say that Jesus, you stood before creation in very nature, God. You had eternity in your hand, but he became human and then he became a servant and then became a sacrifice so he could become our savior. He is the one who can rescue us, you guys. So what can we do? I tell you, man, let's give him everything we got, all right? Let's worship him, let's knit our heart and surrender our lives to Jesus.